Section 11 of the Roman Empire of the Second Century by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, A.D. 147 to 180, Part 2. Five years had passed away in the course of the campaign, and Verus at length unwillingly prepared to leave the scene of his soldier's glory but of his own shame once only at the urgent entreaties of his court had he moved to the front as far as the euphrates he had journeyed also to ephesus to meet his bride lucilla for fear that marcus aurelius might come with her in person to see for himself the life which his son-in-law was leading but his time was chiefly spent in listless dalliance and sybaritic ease in which there was little else to mark the lapse of time except the recurring changes from his winter quarters to his summer palace there was little in such a life to fire the fancy of poet laureate or courtly chronicler yet if we read the letter which he wrote to fronto on the subject of the parthian war we shall find that he expects the history on which the old professor was engaged to make his name illustrious to future ages he promises that his generals shall forward their account of the battles and campaigns with special memoirs on the nature of the country and the climate and offers even to send some notes himself so great is his desire for glory but calmly as a thing of course he takes the credit of all the successes won by the valour of his captains and begs the rhetorician to paint in striking colours the general dismay in syria before the emperor arrived upon the scene to chain victory once more to the roman eagles the history which fronto wrote has not survived but we may judge perhaps somewhat of its tone and of the author's willingness to cater for the vanity of his princely correspondent when we read his pretentious eulogy of the struggle of generosity between the two co-rulers on the subject of the titles to be taken in honour of the successes in the east marcus aurelius declined to be called parthicus or armeniacus in memory of a war in which he took no part but Verus, not to be outdone in seeming modesty would only accept the names on condition that he shared them with his colleague to have pressed this point and won it says the courtier in his hyperbolic vein is a greater thing than all the glories of the past campaigns many a stronghold like artazata had fallen before the onset of thy conquering arms but it was left for thy eloquence to storm in the resolute persistence of thy brother to refuse the proffered honours a fortress more impregnable little is told us of what passed meantime during the five years in italy where marcus aurelius ruled alone and the scanty fragments of our knowledge come chiefly from monumental sources the endowments for poor children founded by the charity of recent emperors were put under the charge of consular officials instead of simple knights in token of the importance of the work while on occasion of the imperial marriage which bound the princes by fresh ties the claims of poverty were not forgotten but fresh funds were set apart to rear more little ones who were to bear probably the names of the two reigning houses as the earlier foundlings had been called after trajan and faustina another measure of this date seems to have been prompted by a tender interest for the material welfare of the people some four or five officials of high rank had been sent from rome of late with large powers of jurisdiction in the county courts of italy 
in the interest alike of central authority and local justice rising as they did above the town councillors and magistrates of boroughs these eurydiki as they were called were now entrusted with the further duty of watching over the supplies of food and the regulation of the corn trade for italy was letting her lands pass out of culture and growing more dependent every year upon the mercy of the winds and the surplus of foreign harvests an inscription found at rimini informs us that the seven wards of the old city and all the corporations in it passed a public vote of thanks to one of these officials for his laborious exertions in behalf of themselves and all their neighbours in the hard times of famine a third change breathes the same spirit of compassion for the helpless and the destitute a praetor was specially commissioned to watch over the welfare of orphan children and to see that the guardians did not abuse their trust or neglect the interests of their wards by a singular coincidence the first of the officials thus appointed became soon after a eurydicus in northern italy and also won an honorary notice of the energy with which he met the crisis of a famine and brought to countless homes the emperor's thoughtful tenderness a new provision was closely connected with these changes as well as with the needs of a well-ordered state all births in italy were to be registered henceforth in a public office within the space of thirty days a necessary step if public or private charity were to try to cope with the spread of pauperism and despair for the rest the emperor had no high ambition nor care to signalize himself by great achievements he was content to let the senate rule and treated it throughout with marked respect being always present at its meetings when he could and when business was pressing he sat oftentimes till nightfall he never spared himself meantime but worked on with unremitting labour till his pale face and careworn looks told all who loved him how serious was the strain upon his feeble powers of body and made his physicians warn him that he must give himself more rest or die for he was anxious above all things to do justice promptly to his people by himself or through his servants and to have no arrears of work with this view he added largely to the number of the days on which the law courts might be opened and sought the counsel and the active aid of the most enlightened men around him his old master junius rusticus had to give up his learned leisure and take perforce to politics to be counsel first then prefect of the city to show his old pupil by his own example how to turn the stoic maxims to practical account and prove that the leader of mankind must learn to govern others by first governing himself but marcus aurelius had little leisure after this to study the arts of civil rule and peace for untoward destiny required him to spend the best years of his life in an inglorious warfare with enemies unknown to fame his was too gentle and sensitive a nature to feel at home among the armies too large-minded to be dazzled by the vanity of fading laurels the war was none of his own seeking and he would gladly have purchased peace at any price save that of the honour or of the safety of his people but the dangers were very imminent and grave and could not everywhere be safely left to the care of generals of lower rank the austere lessons of philosophy had taught him not to play the sophist with his conscience or to shirk distasteful offices when duty called the roman lines lay like a broad belt around the civilized world and the trusty legionaries stood there on watch and ward 
the wild tribes beyond had been long quiet cowed seemingly by trajan's martial energy and hadrian's armaments of war but now some passionate impulse seemed to pass like a fiery cross along the borders and barbarous hordes came swarming up with fury to the attack and threatened to burst the barriers raised against them the parthians had been humbled for a time but were soon to show themselves in arms once more the moors of africa were on the move and before long were sweeping over spain with havoc and desolation in their track the caledonians of the far west were irritated rather than frightened by the long lines of wall and dyke which had been built to shut them in and their untamed fierceness was enough to make the roman troops retire before the children of the mist from the mouth of the niester to where the rhine bears to the sea the waters of all its tributary rivers a multitude of restless tribes with uncouth names and unknown antecedents teutonic slav finnish and tartar were roaming in hostile guise along the northern frontiers and ready to burst in at every unguarded point it is time to enter more into details on the subject of these wars to see in what spirit the meditative student faced the rough work of war and how far he showed the forethought of a ruler cast on evil times we turn with natural interest to read of the fortunes of his arms in britain but there are only scanty data to reward our search at the outset of this period a new commander calpurnius agricola by name had been sent to meet the threatening rumours of a rising among the native or the roman forces his name recalled the memory of the famous captain of an earlier age whose career of glory in the island found in his kinsman tacitus a chronicler of note but there is no evidence that the efforts of the later general were crowned with like success seven years afterwards at the least he is mentioned in an inscription found near hadrian's wall but there is no trace of any forward movement in the course of all these years not a single monumental notice of a roman soldier upon scottish soil though under antoninus an imperial legate had pushed his way some eighty miles beyond the old ramparts of defence and raised a second line of wall and dyke between the clyde and the firth of forth to screen the conquered lands from the indomitable races of the north reinforcements had been brought meantime from countries far away five thousand horsemen came in one contingent from the lower danube where a friendly tribe had taken service in the pay of rome but they found their match in the hardy warriors of the picts and scots before whom sarmatian ferocity and roman discipline combined could scarcely make head or even hold their ground but formal history hardly deigns to note their doings at this time and the troubles of that distant province seemed insignificant enough no doubt to the imperial court the dangers on another frontier were more threatening the army of defence upon the danube had been weakened to meet the pressure of the parthian war and the marcomanni and their neighbours who were constantly on the alert had taken advantage of the withdrawal of the legions and harried the undefended provinces with fire and sword from the mouth of the danube to the confines of illyria the barbarian world was on the move and all those elements of disorder if allowed to gather undisturbed might roll ere long as an avalanche of ruin on the south there was no time to be lost in parrying this danger when peace was restored on the euphrates 
the acclamations of the city populace had hardly died away or the pomp of the triumphal show faded from men's thoughts when both emperors resolved to start together to conduct their armies in the field but in spite of the successes lately won they were in no cheerful mood to open fresh campaigns the tone of public sentiment was sadly low the brooding fancy of the people drew presages of disaster and defeat for coming days from the misfortunes of the present the effects of the famine were still felt in italy though years had passed since its ravages had first begun and officers of state had been ready with their timely succours a yet more fatal visitant had stalked among them and spread a panic through the hearts of men the soldiers who had come back from the east to take part in the reviews which graced the public triumph or to return to their old quarters brought with them the fatal seeds of plague and spread them rapidly through all the countries of the west the scourge passed on its desolating course from land to land in the capital itself numbers of honoured victims fell while deaths followed so fast upon each other that all the carriages available were needed for the transport of the plague-stricken corpses through the streets stringent laws had to be passed to regulate the internment of the bodies and provisions made in the interest of the poorer classes for whom the state took up the task which slipped from their despairing hands while men's hearts were thus failing them for fear and death was knocking at the door of every class without distinction appeal was made to the ministrations of religion to soothe and reassure their troubled minds lectisternia as they were called were solemnized days of public mourning and humiliation set apart and as if the old national deities were ineffectual to save men turned in their bewilderment to the mystic rites of alien creeds and drew near with offering and prayer to the altars of many an unknown god the races of the north meantime who had learnt that the emperors were on the way already heard upon the border the tramp of the advancing legions and their ardour for war was cooling fast in the presence of the forces of defence hardly had the princes arrived at aquileia when the tidings came that their enemies had withdrawn beyond the river and were sending in hot haste envoys to sue for peace bearing the heads of the councillors who had urged them to attack the roman lines so complete seemed the discouragement among them that the quadi who were at the time without a leader asked to have a chieftain given them by rome whereas we read in the carelessness of his self-indulgent nature thought that the danger was quite over and was urgent to return but it needed little foresight to discern that it was but a temporary lull in the fury of the storm and that only a stern and watchful front could maintain the ground which had been won the meagre annals of the period failed to tell us how long the emperors were in the field we only hear that within two years of their return they were summoned from rome once more in a d one sixty nine by the news that the hollow truce was broken and their old enemies again in arms they set out together as before for aquileia where the armies were to be organized and drilled during the winter months to be ready for the spring when the campaign might open in earnest but the plague whose ravages had never wholly ceased meantime broke out afresh with redoubled fury in the crowded camp and the death rate mounted with alarming speed the famous galen was called in to try all that medical experience and skill could do 
but his efforts failed to arrest the spread of pestilence or bring its victims back to health in face of such fearful waste of life the plan of the war had to be changed the camp was broken up without delay the various battalions were dispersed in separate cantonments and the emperors set forth on their return they were not far upon the homeward way when at altenham Verus was struck down with a sudden attack from which he never rallied and marcus aurelius was left to rule alone alone indeed he had often stood already the colleague who was taken from him had helped him little with the cares of state and there were few who could regret his loss unnerved by years of selfish luxury in the east Verus had come back with shattered body and with diseased mind to startle the sober citizens of rome with freaks of dissolute wantonness which recalled the memory of nero and the orgies of his house of gold marcus aurelius was not blind to the luxury and extravagance of his ignoble nature he had sent him to the east perhaps in hope that the braver manhood in him might be roused by the sobering contact of real cares he had seen to his dismay that the careless worldling had come back with a motley train of actors dancers parasites and buffoons to be the pastimes of his idle life while in default of manlier pleasures he loved to have the poor gladiators in to fence and hack themselves before his eyes still the emperor had borne calmly and patiently the vices of his colleague and even now that he was dead he proposed the usual vote of honours in the senate but he dropped some words perhaps unconsciously which betrayed to watchful ears that he had long chafed and fretted though in silence and now was resolved to rule alone without the embarrassment of divided power he might perhaps have been more careful had he known that rumour was busy with the death of Verus and pointing to foul play with which his own name was coupled though indeed in all days of personal government scandalous gossip circulates about the court and as an old biographer remarks no one can hope to rise above suspicion if the pure name of marcus aurelius was thus befouled he had lost also a young son whom he loved fondly and mourned deeply for the sages of the porch had never taught him as they did to others to disguise his feelings under a cloak of stoic calm and the senate's votes of honours and of statues were but a sorry comfort to the tender father. End of section 11.